Thank you, Jesus. Let's just jump right into scripture here. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Okay. Luke chapter 10. Start off, we got quite a few things that we're going to to cover. And uh, this message today was one that <clears throat> has kind of been just swirling around, if you will, in my spirit for the last, I don't know, last three or four months or so. And it was one of those things where it was kind of swirling around. And, it, and, and what I was waiting for was, all right, Lord, give me confirmation, because I know this is something that you want to talk about. You want your people to hear when is the right time to bring it up. And so as of two weeks ago is when I felt that I got the confirmation that, yeah, it's time to go ahead and bring this message, message forward. Um, because my people need to hear what I have to say today. So starting in Luke chapter 10, let's just start in verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Underline that in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means shall hurt and, and, sh- and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not joy in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. If you don't have all of verse 19 underlined, um, underline it, double highlight it, um, bracket it, whatever you need to do, put stars, asterisks around it, whatever you need to do to have that jump out to you. Because there's some key things here just in that one scripture alone that oftentimes that we forget about uh, as Christians. Uh, many of us are in times of transition, if you will, where we, are, we have been taken out of one season and are moving into another season. Or we are currently in a new season um, and we haven't been there that long and things around us just don't seem to make any kind of sense or we didn't expect it to be the way that it currently that it currently is. And oftentimes we forget what Jesus just told his 70 disciples there that I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt hurt you. If you don't have somehow specially highlighted where it says all the power of the enemy, underline all, because this is not saying that you have power over some of what the enemy can do. This is not also saying later on that some things may not hurt you. This is saying that you have power over all that you have that I that and over all the power of the enemy. So you have power over everything that he throws at you and nothing shall by any means hurt you. There is a and you may and I believe this was in psychology class and you, and you may be familiar with this, but there is a reaction that the body has. One of three things the body is going to do when it's faced with a threat. And it's it's very applicable to what happens uh, in the spirit is in the spirit as well. And it's fight, flight or freeze. So when you are faced with a physical threat, one of two, three things is going to happen. You're either going to fight against that threat, whatever that threat might be. You're going to freeze like a deer in the headlights or like what I like to say is a deer in the deadlights, because what ends up happening is a deer will look at the headlights and they just freeze up. And then next you know, they end up getting hit or something like that. Or you will f- choose flight, which is you will run from the from the threat that's, a, that's ahead of you. Oftentimes, as Christians, we choose to either flee or to freeze in the face of challenges that come in front of us, especially when it has to do with a blessing that God is giving has already given us. 
Oftentimes we don't choose to fight and we forget what Jesus said, that we have the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. As Christians, we shouldn't be looking to flee from problems. We shouldn't be looking to freeze when problems come up. We should be looking to fight those problems because we know what authority we have in the name of Jesus. We know that by Jesus dying on the cross and, and being resurrected three, uh, three days later, that with him he took the keys to the kingdom and he defeated Satan. And the Bible also says, death, where art thou sting? Meaning that death has no authority over us. Death has no power over us. And if we invoke the name of Jesus and we have Jesus in our life, then it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at us. He has no authority over, the, over us. So what we're going to talk about today is fighting for your blessing. Fighting for your blessing. Because you might have a blessing that is out there and you just haven't reached it yet, but you can get that feeling in your spirit that something is there. Or perhaps you already have that blessing, but you still need to fight and hold on to it. Now, a lot of people will think, well, if well, a lot of people will say, well, if God blesses you with something, then you can't lose it. Right. If God blesses you with something, it can't be taken away. But you, by your choice, can choose to run away from whatever that blessing is. And what that looks like a lot of times, the most practical way to think about it is if you've been praying for um, a new job, whether it's a promotion at work or going to a completely different company or or doing something completely outside of what you thought you were going to do in your life. And God blesses you with that and things don't go the way that you think they should go. You could easily make the choice to say, I give up. I'm packing it up and I'm going back to way to the way life used to be the same way when the Israelites were delivered out of G, uh, out of Egypt, excuse me, out of Egypt. They wanted to go back because somehow they thought that by them walking with Moses um, in that on during that journey, that somehow being beaten with whips and being chained up and working out in the sun was a lot better than the situation that they were in. And they wanted to go back. And we know the story about that. I won't get into that. So there's four things that we need to make sure that we're doing as we're fighting for our blessing. One, and I'm going to give you the four of these now, and then we're going to dive into them uh, a little bit deeper. The first one is we have to find God's will for your find God's will for your life. Okay, finding God's will for your life. The second thing, and I'm going to go slow in case some of you are, are writing this down. The second thing is, don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. The third one is fight like mad to ensure God's will becomes a reality in your life. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that. And the fourth thing, even though this is kind of number four, this is something that we should be doing at all times. And it's praying for protection as you're as you're pursuing his will. So the first one, finding God's will in your life. Turn to Ephesians chapter five. And I'll repeat those one more time just in case, because I know that's a lot. Finding God's will for your life. Don't make excuses. Fight like mad to ensure God's will happens in your life and pray for protection. With that, let's look into what the Bible says about God's finding God's will. Go to Ephesians chapter five. Because we have just seen that Jesus, we got a, a direct command from Jesus that we have power and authority over all all the enemy has to throw at us and that nothing by any means shall hurt us. So now that we know that, that we have that power, and if we remember that we have that power, we then need to start pursuing God's will. 
So uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're just going to go to verse, start in verse 15 here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See that you walk uh, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the times because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Underline that there, verse 17. Therefore, do not be uh, unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. Underline that. Be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Okay. So a few things there, especially there, verse 17. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There are <clears throat> so many people out there that spend their whole life wondering, what is my purpose? Why am I on this planet? And it's, it, it's incredible when you hear, um, especially celebrities talk about this because a lot of people are like, oh, that is so profound. That is a great question. What is the purpose of my life? Why are we here on this, 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 this small planet with technology the way it is and transportation the way it is? The planet isn't as large as it is because you can get from here to what Japan in what some 16 hours, 17 hours or something like that. So it makes the world a lot smaller with access to the Internet. You can see what's going on in other countries very, 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 very easily. So the world is no longer as small as it once seems. But so many people wonder why me as this one person out of what, six billion people on the planet on this one tiny planet in this large galaxy, in this large universe that has no limit. Why am I here? There are so many people that are out there that, that, that are asking that question, and they look to so many different places to try to find that answer. They look to other people. You, you hear about people going off to these, um, oh, what do you call those, um, not those retreats, but they'll go off to these temples and start studying with, the, with, these, with people like these, these monks that, that just want to, they meditate and meditate. And they, oh, you got to clear your mind. You got to clear your mind. Do all these other things and, and your will will find you. And, and what the Bible is saying here is, no, don't be unwise. Understand what the will of the Lord is, which means if I want to know what my purpose in life is, the one that I should be going to is the one who created me. And that's God the Father. I should be asking him, Lord, what is your will for my life? Okay? You think about anything that you've, you, you, you've, ever, you've ever created. If you're, if you're baking a cake or something like that, you know the purpose of that cake, okay, is it's supposed to taste like something. You know, maybe it's a strawberry shortcake or something like that. It's supposed to taste like a strawberry shortcake. So as you, as you start to put the ingredients in there and you start to search for recipes, you understand that this thing should taste like a strawberry shortcake. So if it tastes like a peach cobbler, I did something really, 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 really wrong, right? Okay, and if you serve this to somebody and say, hey, look at this strawberry shortcake, and they eat it and they say, Strawberry shortcake. This tastes like apple pie. Right. They're, they're going to go to you and say, hey, what went wrong? <laughs> what, what went wrong with that? I remember watching this Thanksgiving uh, video of these news anchors 
Um, and I forgot what it was that somebody had made. And it was live. And they brought in the dish and they tasted it. And it was the funniest thing ever because three of the four news anchors looked at it and they said, what is that? And the person, oh, well, it's this, this, and this, and I made it. And the person put it in their mouth and you can see they did everything on camera not to puke. And their eyes, their face started turning all red. And they said, I'm sorry, but this is the most awful thing I've ever tasted. What did you use? Well, just, it called for lemon, but I didn't have lemon, so I put orange peels in there. And it just kept going on and on and on. And she, and, and, and she kind of knew, like, yeah, I, I really messed it up. But the whole point that I'm, that, that I'm making here is that God did not create us because he was bored one day. Okay? God wasn't sitting up there and said, well, so let's see. Lucifer got kicked out of heaven here. Um, I need something to do. What should I do? Oh, you know, I'm going to go create some people. I'm going to go create some humans because I need something to do in my in, in my life, in my existence. I am so bored as God. I'm going to go ahead and create people and I'm going to watch the people because I'm going to give them free will. And it's going to be pretty entertaining. So let's just sit here and watch what all these people do and everything like that. No, that's not what God decided to do. He decided to create us for his specific purposes. Now, our purpose, the Bible talks about in, in other scripture there that our purpose is to glorify, to worship and glorify him. So what we need to find out then is we just need to ask God to, to one, to fill us with his spirit. Okay, fill us with the spirit that's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit so that Holy Spirit can talk to us about what God is is wanting to do in our lives so that we then know how to pray to God with Holy Spirit in us and align the things that we ask for in in alignment with God's will. Okay, so as we do that, then we start to understand, Okay, I already know that my purpose in life is to glorify you. But now what I need to understand is what do I need to do in my everyday life in the workplace, at home, um, in any extracurricular activities or any school boards or anything that you're involved in? How do I then do that? In a way that glorifies you. Verse 20 there says, giving thanks always for all things to the God, to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Too many times we are so busy searching for that next great thing or 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 we know that uh, where I am right now is not where God is going to ultimately have me to be. So I'm constantly looking for, Lord, what what is the end state of where you want me to be? And I'm, and that could be 20, 30 years down the line. You never know. But 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 you're so focused on I want to get to that place and I want to get there now that we don't take a, a, a chance to step back and say, Lord, thank you for where I am. Because a lot of times you are where you are is because you're not ready to be where God wants you to be. And that's okay. God will move you in his timing because God is all knowing. So he knows that if he gives you that opportunity right now, you might not be ready for that opportunity. But understand also that when he does give you that opportunity, that you do have to fight for it. And you have to fight to keep it because you are ready when he actually gives it to you. Okay. It could take some time. It could be quick. It may not be quick. Remember, God operates in this continuous now. So to him, what does the Bible say? Um, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is to, is, is to one day. All right. So in your mind, you may be thinking, Lord, I've been praying about this for the last 16 years. Nothing's ever happened. And God is looking at that and saying, yeah, 16 years. That's like you know, 16 minutes to me. <laughs> OK, I heard your prayer. Don't worry. You're not ready to get there yet. There's other things that I that I need to do. So so be thankful for where you are and be thankful for everything that you have.
You know, you've heard me talk about the um, the old Chevy Corsica my wife and I had that sounded like a big old Ford Bronco truck because of the way it sounded when you started up. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, that's the way the car sounded. And my brother would say, I could always tell when you were coming home because I could hear you pulling into the parking lot at the apartment complex. I could hear my wife get up in the morning at 530 in the morning. And, and from inside the apartment, mind you, the bedroom was on the back of the apartment. The, the, the parking space was across the street on the other side there. She can start the car at five o'clock in the morning. I'm like, yeah, she's going food shopping because I can hear it. Real loud when it starts off cold and revs up. The heater took literally 20 minutes before it actually kicked in, even on full blast. So I drive to work with my scarf wrapped around my neck and got my gloves on and my coat buttoned up. And I'm sitting here and people are kind of looking like, what's going on with him? Why does he dress like that? As they're driving to work in T-shirts and everything like that. And I remember that car. You know, but I, I, I did at times, it, as frustrating as it was sometimes having that car, not being able to get up hills and everything like that, even though the, the, the gas pedal was floored, it's going 10 miles an hour up the hill. And I got my mom calling me and saying, hey, you were following us. What happened to you? I said, hey, mom, we're just going to park the car down here and walk because we can't make it up the hill. And they start laughing and we, you know, take my daughter out in her big old heavy car seat and we're walking up this hill and everything like that. Um, but I had to make sure that I reminded myself to thank God for that situation. Okay, I have to remember to thank God for him, because the beautiful thing about when we got that car, okay, it was a blessing because we were living with our parents, with my parents at the time. We were getting ready to move out into our own place. We found that car, I think it was three days before we were scheduled to move. And we figured, you know what, we'll be okay. We're not going to worry about getting a car. We'll take the bus to and from work and going grocery shopping and everything like that. Not a big deal. And if mom and dad let us use their car and we asked, we know that they would. You know, but having that car made it much more convenient. We didn't have to worry about taking the bus. I still took the bus to work because I left my wife with the car because she was home. So I was like, yeah, you go ahead and have the car. But I had to remember myself, remind myself, Lord, we asked you for a car and this is what you gave us. That car lasted a year before it decided it wanted to die. We got another car. That car also lasted a year. And then we were blessed with one that, that would have lasted a lot longer. But because we were we had a son, we ended up getting rid of that car and getting something else. And that was a blessing in and of itself, getting something that large. And so I always think back to that now because I think, of, man, I remember when and this and that. Lord, thank you for those times, because what that taught me was patience. OK. That taught me patience. That taught me to always be thankful for what he's given, because while he doesn't always give me exactly what I asked for, he always gives me what I need. And then so. OK, so it's important that we remember that as we're looking at, as we're fighting for our blessing. So once we find God's will in our life, we also need to make sure that we're not making excuses. Turn to John chapter five. Don't make excuses. John chapter five. And we're just going to start in, let's just start in verse 1. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and, uh, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, uh, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches, uh, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. 
Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Underline had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he, that he had already had uh, that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, I, uh, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was on on the Sabbath. If you don't have uh, verse seven through nine underline, underline all of that. OK, the main thing I want to focus on here, that there's a, there's a few key things that we we want to make sure we're understanding when we're talking about making sure we're not making excuses. OK. Granted, this man in the scripture later on um, in, the, in the preceding verses there or the following verses afterwards talked about the man. He was asked about who made him well and he didn't know who Jesus was. So granted, there is some of that here. But the interesting thing about this is the response that he had when Jesus asked him, does he want to be made well? How many times when we are asked, do you want X, Y and Z? Do we give her a response similar to this man here? Notice he didn't say, yes, I want to be made well. Instead, what he said was, I don't have no man to put me into this pool because every time I try, somebody else gets in there before me. See, he wasn't putting his faith in God. What he was putting his faith in is another man to take him from where he was to get him to that pool. Now, I can only imagine how hectic this hectic, hectic, excuse me, this scene could have been. If you've ever gone Black Friday shopping, okay. All right. <laughs> you ever go on Black Friday shopping? You are in a store with pretty much able bodied individuals. All right. There's a lot of people there and everybody kind of has the same mentality as this person, because there is a certain period of time where I need to get from where I am to over there so I can grab that thing to satisfy whatever it is that I need to satisfy so I can get this good price on it. Right? And if you've ever been in Walmart on, on Black Friday, they run these rolling specials where starting at 4 o'clock, so people start getting there at 2 o'clock, and they just kind of hang out in the store, and they're looking at the maps, and they're scoping out the areas, and one person will stay here, the other person will be over there. I'm going to grab this while you grab that, and then we'll call each other, and we'll meet, and they do all these things. And they know there's a mad dash to wherever, to, to as soon as that, that clock hits, 4 o'clock, boom, mad dash, everybody's going. Or you see the line over in the, in the electronics somewhere because everybody's waiting for a TV, and they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's not over here. We're actually doing them over there. And then you see people just rush over to the other side to try to get that TV. So you could imagine here with people that are, are blind and paralyzed and have, have have body parts that are missing, trying to get into this pool, how hectic it could have been for this individual to the point where he's saying the only way I can really get down there is if somebody actually takes me down there. But nobody's there to take me down there. How many times do we make excuses to God about, Lord, I will do this, but I would give to the needy, but I don't have any money. I know you want me to buy this house, but I have too many bills. I know I should do this. and I know I should do this, but, but, but I know I should go to church on Sunday, but I'd rather party on Saturday. I know that I should clean up my inner circle, but this individual is going to be offended. I know that I should go pursue that job, but I don't interview well. So how many times do we end up making excuses 
for why we can't do what God is asking us to do. And now if that was me and somebody asked me that, I would have said, yeah, I want to be made well. But instead, he says, well, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. I get stepped on every single time that I try to get down there and somebody is constantly beating me to that. The other interesting thing about this is that if you look in verse three, then if you don't have this underlined, underline all of verse three is notice the type of people that this 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 lame man is around. Okay, notice the type of people he's around people that are just like him in various ways. So in order for us to be able to obtain our blessing, we also have to make sure that we watch who we surround ourselves with. Okay, it is no small wonder that if you've ever spoken to anyone that has done prison time, anyone that's involved in gangs or is selling drugs, it is no small wonder when you talk to them about the company that they keep, that they are surrounded by the same type of people. And I remember having a friend um, and he unfortunately he, he, he passed away a few years ago. But I remember having conversations with him about some things that he was doing. And I remember what he would say to me is he would say to me, um, <clears throat> you know, Brandon, you can take the boy out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the boy. In other words, even though he wasn't living in a gang infested neighborhood anymore and surrounded by those people, he made the decision that this is who I am. Because I was around it for so long, my excuses for not changing is because that's all I know in my life. And a lot of times you see that with gang members and people that are in prison is because they say, well, this is what I was born into. This is my surrounding right now. The only way that I can make it in here is to be able to act just like them. Okay. Instead of being able to say, you know what, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. But I refuse to be like you. In the workplace, this is very evident that you see this in the workplace because a lot of times, and you see this in any business that you've been in, is the people there, as soon as they either hear you say something about a dream that you have or they just watch you operate differently than them, they will start to throw out um, um, unencouraging or discouraging words towards you. Oh, why would you want to do that? Things here are never going to change. You just started here. You can't do that. You're this, you're this, you can't, you can't, you can't. And instead of them encouraging you, they always try to constantly bring you down. So if you're not careful about who you're surrounding yourself with and what you're sharing with people, those same people that you'll see on an everyday basis will kind of just keep beating you over the head, beating you over the head. And if you're not careful, you're not strong enough in God and you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, you start to come down to that level and you start to be just like them. And they don't want anything and, and they would want nothing more than to bring you that down and say, huh. Look at this person. They thought they were all hot stuff. And look at that. They're just like us. Call themselves a Christian. Huh? Where's your God now? God can't help you with that. God's got no time for you. God's got more important things to do than to help you make this career, this career path. OK, so make sure you're being careful about who you're surrounding yourself with. Don't let the people around you that are acting negative negatively or discouraging towards you define who you are in Christ. Because God has a much, 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 much higher opinion of you than those people. The other thing <clears throat> that happens with this a lot of times as, as Christians is we make decisions about who we associate with based off of what's comfortable for us. So what I mean by that is if I'm if, if I'm a Christian that is still a baby Christian, if you will. Um, and, and my mindset is not to wake up every day and figure out how I can become closer and closer to God. 
then I start to surround myself with those same type of people. And I start to exclude myself and pull myself away from the people that, 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 that would be around me that are striving every day to be as, as Christ-like as possible. Um, to use an analogy, um, in sports, you get a, there's always that one guy on the team that just by what he does makes everybody around him better. Because how he shows up when he's in practice, in the weight room, film study, whatever it is that has to do with the game, he shows up and he gives 100% every single time. And by that, naturally, everybody else become, becomes better around them because it's, wow, I'm going to follow his lead. So what ends up happening then is, as Christians, if we start being surrounded, if we're not careful, sometimes we'll get surrounded by these people that we should be around because they're going to, quote unquote, make us better Christians. But because we feel like we don't have it together, we start to just we, we start to slowly withdraw from that. We start to back away and say, mm, I'm going to look for other things to do. Maybe I'm going to go to another church where I can just blend in and no one will, quote unquote, hold me accountable. Because and then if I go back and talk to them. What happens if they ask me, how am I doing I can't lie. The Bible says that I shouldn't lie. And so the devil starts to put all this condemnation on you about, huh, you're supposed to be a Christian, huh? You can't even do what all those people are doing. Maybe you should do something else. And then so you start doing that. Man, what happens if I see them again? Yeah, what happens if you see them again? Because the Bible, what does the Bible say? You shouldn't lie. And you know next time you see them, they're going to ask you what, how you're doing. You can't lie to them and tell them what's really going on. So now you start to feel this shame and guilt. Next thing you know, you're no longer interacting with anybody and you find yourself surrounded, spiritually speaking, by people that are sick, blind, lame and paralyzed. Okay, so it's important that we're watching how we surround who we're surrounding ourselves with and don't make excuses for the battles that we're we're facing when we're achieving our blessing. The last thing on these um, in this particular scripture here in verse five there, I had you underline uh, he had an infirmity for 38 years. Do not forget that no matter how long it takes, God will deliver you. Thirty eight years he had this infirmity. Thirty eight years it took for God to deliver him. And it's not that God took his sweet time and everything like that. I was like, oh, you're not important and everything like that. But sometimes it takes a while and you never know why. And if you notice his response, just the last thing, I'm not sure why I'm being stuck on his his response to this um, not simply just saying yes, but a contrasting um, event to this is the woman who had the issue of blood. OK, remember what she said was, I knew if I can just touch the hem of Jesus garment, I would be made well. She didn't let in that huge crowd of all those people. She got on hands and knees and she crawled and she just reached out and touched his hem of that garment. And Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And couldn't know, couldn't figure out who it was because of all of those people. Now, imagine that. Look at that. That's the type of 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 desire and diligence that we should be when we should exhibit when we're seeking after God is don't let anything stop you. And that's a perfect segue into making sure that we fight like mad to ensure that his will happens in our life. Turn to Nehemiah chapter four. Nehemiah chapter four. And we're going to start in verse one. Nehemiah chapter four. It's right in between Ezra and Esther, if that helps at all. All right, Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. 
But it so happened when Sanballat heard that he was that we were rebuilding the wall. This is Nehemiah talking that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, this is talking about here. Um, they're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. OK, and Sanballat, um, some scholars believe that if 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 Nehemiah wasn't offered the position of governor over over Judah, that Sanballat could have been next in line for that, which could explain some of the things that he that we start to see here and some of his mocking um, his mocking tone towards towards the Jews, because don't don't forget that in our lives there are people that feel that they can do your job better than you. So whatever that thing is that God has blessed you with, know that there are people that there that think I'm I could be so much better than you at this. If I was in that position, I wouldn't do that. I would do this, 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 and this. Meanwhile, when that position came available, they weren't on the list to actually even apply for it. But what they prefer to do is talk about how bad you are at doing what you're doing. And the reality is, is they are no better at doing it than where you are. And what equips you to do it is because God gave that position to you. And so we'll, we'll so we'll read through this here. We'll see how kind of Sambalot starts to, to, to act towards them. And you see he's he's making um, some mocking statements about how they're going to build the wall. And he's saying, oh, they're, fee they're feeble. How are they going to do these things? Verse three. Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite. Uh, was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down with their stone. He will break down their stone wall. So they're saying that these stones and everything that you're building up to try to build this wall, it's going to be so weak that if a little old fox gets on top of it, your wall is going to collapse. But look at, look at this in verse four. Hear, oh, hear, oh, our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And I love this in verse six, underline all of it, all of this. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Double underline that the people had a mind to work. So what Nehemiah did here was, even though he heard of what Sanballat and his um, and, and these enemies of, of Jerusalem were, were, were plotting and talking about, the first thing he did was, OK, I'm going to go to God now. OK, Lord, and I'm going to ask you to, to, to protect us. Keep a, keep a watch over us. Let let them be confounded with the things that they're trying to do and not let us come to come, come to their come to their captivity. So in other words. Give us the advantage. Why? Not because of what they're doing to us, but because of what they're doing to you, because they're provoking you, Lord, to anger. And they continued on with their journey because the people had the mind had a mind to work. Any successful person out there, um, whether however you want to define success, a lot of people usually think of success as having a lot of money, you know, millionaires and everything like that. Uh, one thing that they will always tell you is it's not necessarily about what you do is the mindset that you have, because it's what's in your mind that drives everything that you're going to do. Anytime you hear athletes talk, it's the same thing. It's, well, the reason I get up at four o'clock in the morning to go work out is because everybody else is asleep. 
So I'm going to go get a whole bunch of extra time in before everybody else gets in. That's going to set me apart from everything, everybody else. Anybody can do that, but you have to have the mindset. Drug dealers, okay, as sinful as that lifestyle is, all right, they understand that it's about my mindset when I'm dealing drugs that's going to help me be successful in terms of them making, you know, $4,000 a week or something like that. Okay, so it all starts about the mindset. A lot of times in churches, some of the things that we see, okay, is we see people that want the ministry to grow, but they don't have the mindset to work. They don't want to be involved in the ministry at all, and they want everyone else to figure it out in in, in terms of how to make the ministry grow. It happens in the workplace as well. One of the things that used to always make me kind of silently laugh is if I'm sitting in a meeting and somebody comes up with this really great idea. Oh, yeah, that's an excellent idea. Who would like to take that on? Dead silence. You know, and I used to sit there and think to myself, oh, my gosh, somebody, please just take it. And then what you're left with is you're left with somebody that says, you know, I don't really know how to get this started, but I'll go ahead and take it on because it needs to be done. That individual had had the mind to work. So we have to make sure that we have the mind to work. And it's not easy. to. It's not always easy to do. Uh, So verse six again. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. Underline um, this in verse eight, uh, verse seven here, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. And create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. When people start to see you and your plans are starting to come together, despite all of the the discouragement that they've set in front of you, despite the plans that they may have come to coming against you, know that they are going to be angry and they're going to start to get upset. And all they're going to do is they're going to ramp up their attack. And it's important here, as you see in verse nine there at the end, we set a watch against them day and night. You have to be watchful for what's going on. The Bible talks about uh, being as a watchman on the wall. And just because you are starting to have success on this journey uh, um, of the during this blessing that God has given you doesn't mean you can fall asleep at the wheel. It does not mean that all of a sudden you say, yeah, I'm having some success with this. And, OK, things are starting to get better and, because let's face it. Right. When things when people start to conspire against us and God comes through, we feel good. Right. You, 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 and, and, and let's be real about this. Your chest starts to poke out a little bit and you start to get some more confidence. You're like, yeah, I, I can do this and I can make it because look what God did. But that doesn't mean you just walk through and just think, yeah, I got this. I got this. I got this. I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to watch because that's when a sneak attack can come. And you can see here what Nehemiah said. We even though they prayed. Even though they prayed to God, they also set a watch against them day and night. Verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish, rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into the midst and kill them and uh, and cause the work to cease. So it was so it was when the Jews who dwelt near near them came that they uh, that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So here you see a few different things going on here. Judah saying, hey, you know, these people that are working, they can't keep doing this. All right. 
They're, they're, they're getting weak and there's too much work that's going on. And oh, by the way, our adversaries are saying that they're going to kill us and that the only way we'll see them pretty much is when it's, when it's too late. Okay? And then we hear these other Jews that keep coming by saying that whatever you turn, wherever we turn, they're going to be upon us. So you see some more negativity now that's starting to come in. Now this is from within the people that are, that, that are here that are responsible for building the wall. So again, be careful of the company that you keep. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and, then, and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, underline all of this, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Okay, what you see Nehemiah doing there. As he's, as he's reminding them to think about God's power and his greatness. OK, Philippians 413, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when the fight starts to get really, really tough, you got to remember God's greatness, how awesome he is, how powerful he is. Because then as you start, because then it's back to mindset. As I start to meditate on that and I start to focus on that. Some of the things that will happen is God will start to bring to remembrance. Remember when you had this back then? And I brought you through. Remember when you had this and I brought you through. Remember when you had this, this, this and this. And so as you're starting to meditate on his on his greatness, he starts to reveal those things to you. And then you start reminding God, if you will, of, yes, Lord, you are more powerful than anything that, that, that I've got that I'm going to face. I can do all things through your son, Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. And you start to become encouraged and you start to get ready to get back into the fight. OK, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight, your, fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Underline that, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Just because God is there working on your behalf doesn't mean that you can just sit back and do nothing. OK, you have to return back to do the actual work, whatever that might be. So it's important that you ask God, all right, Lord, what role do I have in this? What should I be doing? You won this battle. They found out about it, Lord. I need to go back and return to work. What do you need me to do now versus saying, whoo, yep, that's done. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to get a nice cold glass of lemonade and some ice water and I'm going to sit on the beach and do nothing. No, you got to be ready to return back to work because there might be more instructions that God has for you. Verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears and shield, uh, held the spears, the shields, the bows and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they built, they, they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, underline that, as he built and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So there's a lot of things there in verse 17 and 18. Okay. When you're fighting to keep this blessing or you're fighting to get to that blessing that you know is out there, you have to do two things simultaneously. You have to fight and you have to build. You have to fight and you have to build. You have to fight and you have to build. There's a song by Alvin Slaughter, who's a Christian singer, 
and I don't recall the name of the song, but there is part of the lyric. I think it's called doing a good work. And there's a part of that song where he where he actually makes reference to the scripture. And he says, we're building with the we're building with the left hand and battling with the right. OK, so it's important to understand that, because if you're constantly building and building and building, you'll never be ready to actually fight. You have tunnel vision on building this, building this. Then it gets knocked down because you got attacked. And instead of a dealing with the attacker, you're building, building, building. It gets knocked down, build, build, build. Conversely, you can't just fight, 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 because then you never actually get to build. And you think about the military, for example, when they get sent over to another country, especially a place that they've never been, the first thing they do is they build infrastructure. But they don't build it with the, with the, from the perspective of, yeah, we'll build and somebody else will come in and fight. They're building and prepared to fight at the same time. They understand that I need to put communications in place so that we can communicate with people that aren't on this base. I need to put the, 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 this, this barrier around here so that people un, that are unauthorized don't get in. I need to set up runways. I need to set up this. But at the same time, if you ever watch them, not too far from them, they have their rifles. Because if they get called on to battle, they will stop building and then they will battle. And as they're building, people are always watching and watching and watching. It's like, oh, what's going on over there? Hey, what's going on over there? Because they have to be ready to build and fight. So when we are doing the things that God is calling us to do, we have to be ready to build and fight. A lot of times we prefer to build because building doesn't cause as much angst, stress and anxiety as it does when you fight. Fighting gives off of, has you release a lot of energy. You have to release a lot of or use up, I should say, a lot of energy in, in a battle because battles aren't always quick. OK, the enemy is going to come at you sometimes and he might surprise you. Or sometimes God may say, hey, you might want to be ready for this because it's coming. OK, last time I was up here, I talked about how um, I was I was sick that Saturday. All right. And I can tell you that coming up for getting ready for this message Starting on Wednesday, I was sick again to the point where Friday I went to the doctor because my eye was red and I had some blurry vision. And when the doctor looked at my eyes, they ran all these tests and did all these measurements. She said, yeah, she said, yeah, your eye is definitely angry. <laughs> That's what she said, because she could see the nerves, the nerves in there. She said, but you have no scratches on your eye. She said, but you definitely have a, your eye is swollen. And it's not the eyelid. It was my actual eye. The white of my eye was actually swollen. And she said, I don't know what it was. And she was asking, well, when did what, what were you doing when this happened? I said, I said, I, I said, literally, I said, I, I actually I said, I just finished washing my hands. I said, I seriously, just finished washing my hands, went to the bathroom and, was, and had my eye under the sink for 15 minutes trying to flush it out. And I said, nothing got in there. She said, well, whatever it was, it definitely was in there because your eye is swollen based off of the measurements that we took. So they took all these measurements. And I knew and leading up to that, it started on Wednesday. When I was at work and I was thinking, I don't know if I can make it to work today. I don't know if I can make it through today. Got over to practice, started walking to my car to go to football practice. I was like, man, I don't even know what's going on. I'm not quite sure. And God reminded me. He said, this is how this happens. This is how it happens. And he started reminding me, look back, look back, look back, look back, look back. And this is something that has been going on for, I don't know, honestly, I lost track after it happened after a year, about a year long at least. Every single month on that Wednesday before it's time for me to preach, something would end up would end up happening. And so that's part of the fight. So it's it's part of it is. All right. We, we see here where it says um, where was that in verse in verse 18 at the end. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. 
So what I so so what I, I need to make sure and constantly make sure that I'm doing is that the one who has the trumpet is the Holy Spirit that can blow the trumpet and say, hey, this is coming. They might be out there. Devil might be out there in the distance trying to attack you. But you better believe that over the course of the next three days, he's going to be at your doorstep because he's trying to keep you from getting out there on Sunday morning. And that is not easy to do. That is hard to sit there and see that and see it afar, so far off thinking, no, that's too far away. There's no way that's going to happen. And surely as I'm standing here, it happens just like that. OK, that's why fighting is so hard for us. So we have to make sure that we're building and fighting at the same time. All right. Verse 19, um, as, as we start to wind down here, then I said to the nobles, the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So there you see Nehemiah again reassuring the people that God is going to fight for them. And notice he said, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. So wherever the sound the trumpet is coming from, everybody get there. And a, a rally, if you've ever watched like political rallies or, or a rally for some sort of cause, it's always a bunch of people, a lot of people that have one common goal, one common vision, and they're all marching to the beat of the same drum, so to speak. So what he's saying here is rally to us. With the mindset and the focus of God is going to fight for us. So that one of the things that we have to do is that as we're fighting this battle and that we're trying to keep our blessing or obtain that blessing, that any time Holy Spirit sounds the trumpet, that we are rallying to that call with the with the understanding and the belief and the faith that God is going to fight for us. The reason Holy Spirit is blowing that trumpet for us is because he's trying to warn us that something is coming. And he's trying to put us in a place to say, you need to come seek me about what it is that I need you to do. So don't go there and just, oh, there's that trumpet again. Here I go. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'll get there. All right. What do you need me to do now? No, he's saying get there with, the, with, with, with some. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? With some. Some. some mm, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I can't think of a word right now. But, but, but get there with with with. With, with some quickness, get there, be ready to go. The same way David got there and ran when, when, when he when he saw Goliath, he didn't walk to Goliath. He ran to go to Goliath. So when the Holy Spirit calls us, we need to go run to him and find out what it is that he's trying to show us and what it is that he needs us to do. OK, so verse 20 again, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay in the um, stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So there you see that a guard by night and a working party by day, which means when nighttime came, I was prepared for battle. I was ready to fight. That was my job was during the day. I had to go build. Build by day, fight by night. Verse 23. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. So what he's saying here, Nehemiah is saying there is that we were staying ready. 
Okay, we were staying ready. We kept everything right with us, kept everything on us, unless it was time to wash. The purpose changed at that point. So then I take my stuff off, wash it, put it back on, and I'm ready to go. A lot of times as Christians is we don't have the the mindset of staying ready. We have the mindset of getting ready. And the difference between the two and what I tell my kids in, in, in football is I say, when I say to you, stay ready, that means that when I call on you to do something, you have to do it. If I say to you, get ready... That means that there is time that you have to prepare and I need you to stay ready. So if I say, hey, I need you to go in, it's go in and you need to execute the plays that we're getting ready to tell you. So as Christians, what we have to do is we have to constantly stay ready so that when God calls us, we don't have to say, "Okay, Lord, hold on a second. I'm coming. I just need to go do this, do this and get ready and do this. But that we go running and that we're that we're ready to go. Uh, Where does the the, the Bible and scripture? It says, um, when, when, when Jesus was, was calling some of his disciples there and, and they were saying or calling some people to follow him and they were saying, oh, wait, let me go bury my dead, uh, my dead father, I believe it was. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. And that's what Jesus is saying is leave that stuff alone and let's go. OK, the scripture also talks about the, the bridegroom and being prepared um, with the oil and the lamp so that they don't miss the so that they don't miss the ceremony. So we constantly have to stay ready. And, and the most. Um, or well, maybe the, the, the best example of staying ready is when Jesus says that I'm going to return as a thief in the night. That's staying ready. That no matter where you might be on this planet, no matter what you might be doing, that when Jesus comes and says, let's go, you're going to be going, not sitting there saying, hey, where did everybody go? Where are they? And then realize, oh, I wasn't ready. OK, so we just got to make sure that we're staying ready. And what we also saw in, in several different times here. Is was Nehemiah was praying. Okay, he was praying for protection. All right, asking God to take the enemy's plans and turn it against them. All right, even after that happened, it was a still a constant. Okay, Lord, turn this against them, turn this against them, and then reassuring the people that God was going to fight for us, that God was going to fight for them. So the last thing to do there, as even after you're praying for protection, is to also to remember that God is going to fight for you. Okay. Even if he has a task that requires you to actually do something, know that he is still there and he's fighting for you and he's fighting with you. One of the things that God will never, ever, ever, ever do is tell you, go and fight and I'm going to sit on the sidelines and watch. That's not the type of God we serve. The only time it's a one individual battle, if you will, is if God says, hey, just sit down and rest. I got this. I don't need you to do anything, actually. Go ahead and I'll take it. But if you're involved in a fight, better believe that God is right there by your side. And if you've ever seen that, I think it was, it's a poem. It's called Footprints. OK. Um, and, and I don't I don't have it memorized. I'm not going to try to sit here and recite it all. But in essence, what that, that poem is saying is that as this man was looking over trouble and troublesome times during his life and only seeing one set of footprints there, God was telling him that those one set of footprints, those aren't yours. Those are mine because I was carrying you through that particular storm. I was carrying you through that situation. So that's why you only saw one foot, one set. It wasn't you. It was me. I pray, to, I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. And now as we prepare to close, let's uh, honor God with our tithes and offerings.